<laughs> so you can tell we're gearing up for small groups, as Matt shared earlier, in just a couple of weeks. We're going to be having our big annual Group Connect event. And once again, if you're not in a small group, wouldn't you want to enjoy having a leader like that? I mean, come on. So sign up uh, for October 6th, be in a group. And uh, actually, uh, we have some phenomenal group leaders. And uh, I look forward to seeing how uh, God's going to uh, connect people who have not experienced that and, and, and spur on some, some growth in ways that maybe you've never experienced before. And relationships are so important. And, and that's why we're doing this series for just three weeks called Better Together. Uh, we are better together. We're going to talk a whole lot about that in the next three weeks. But today I want to tell you the story, if you will, about a man in the Bible that did some really, really cool things. They're actually bigger than what we give him credit for. His name is Barnabas, and his story is pretty awesome. Uh, I'm going to be looking at several verses throughout the book of Acts, but, but the first time we see him come out into the spotlight, if you will, on the stage that is this great story uh, of redemption called the Bible is in verse 36 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts, and it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We kind of skirted around this verse a few weeks ago when we were talking about the importance of generosity as we follow Christ and as we uh, fulfill his mission. And he's an example of someone who was so generous. He sold part of his property, laid the money at the feet of the apostles so they could take it to help with the poor and advance the gospel work that they were doing. But we get introduced to him, and, and I don't know if you've heard of Barnabas before in the Bible. Maybe you didn't know his real name is Joseph. Barnabas was his nickname. The apostles, the, the men who had seen Jesus, walked with Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus, and was teaching everybody about Jesus. I don't know what it was about Barnabas. Well, I guess we'll find out what it was about Barnabas. But he was so encouraging, they gave him this nickname, Son of Encouragement. I always think that's funny because they were basically saying, You're so encouraging. Your daddy's encouragement is what they were saying there. That's how encouraging you are. So that was his nickname, son of encouragement, Barnabas. Now, we see him doing something pretty incredible. I would say it's one of the most pivotal moments in the history of Christendom. Happened in chapter 9 of the book of Acts in verse 27. <clears throat> it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So you may know who the he is in this verse. Anybody? Say it out. Yeah, Paul. The Apostle Paul as we know him. The same Apostle Paul that is perhaps the greatest missionary that's ever lived, whom God inspired to write at least, what, 13 books of the 27 books of the New Testament. This is Barnabas. Now, before he was called Paul, he was Saul. And he was from Tarsus. And so Barnabas took this Saul, who had been a murderer of Christians. He had gone around trying to get Christians arrested, trying to get people who followed the way of Jesus, trying to get them imprisoned, trying to silence them. That was Saul. He was the hero of the Jewish believers who rejected Jesus Christ. He was their guy. He was their star player, if you will. And so Saul had this amazing experience on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed forever. 
In fact, by the time Barnabas took Saul to meet the apostles to vouch for him, he had had that experience, most scholars believe, probably two to three years before then. This wasn't like, hey, last week this happened to Saul. This was years ago this happened to Saul. And people still struggled believing that this Saul was not the same bad guy that he was. And so Barnabas made a connection. He said, I've got to take Saul and introduce him to the apostles so that they can see what God is doing in this man's life, so they can see what's happening with him. I believe this is so pivotal because this is the beginning of Saul becoming Paul the apostle. I would argue, and this may sound crazy, and this may even be wrong, I don't know, but the emotion within me is that there would be no Paul without Barnabas. Barnabas was the one that said, I see that, and I need, I, need to see, I need to take this amazing story that happened in this man's life and bring it to these apostles who have followed Jesus. They need to meet each other. We need to make a connection between them and see what God will do. And boy, have we seen what God did as a result of that connection. Now, fast forward to chapter 11, verses 22 through 26 in the book of Acts. And it says this, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Let me pause for a moment there. What is this? What did they hear? At the beginning of this movement, what I would call the church, the church was born in the book of Acts. At the beginning of this movement, there began a tension that was felt because basically the command center of this movement was still in Jerusalem. And so most of the believers were following Jesus were Jewish believers. But in Antioch, something was changing. Non-Jewish people, known as Gentiles, were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And really cool things were happening that was hard to ignore. It was as if God was making it very clear to the Jewish believers that my hand is upon not just you, but the entire world. I want, my whole, uh, I want the whole world that I created, I want every person that I created to know about my son Jesus who came and died for them. And so the report came to Jerusalem like something's going on. So who did they send? Barnabas, go check it out in Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast, steadfast purpose. And then, almost as an aside, by the way, let me tell you about Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And then it carries on. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is in just this five-verse area here in Book of Acts. Some great things happen. First of all, Saul, excuse me, Barnabas began to make a connection between the Jewish believers in Jerusalem and what God was doing in Antioch. He became the bridge to connect those two things together. But once he saw what God was doing there in Antioch. I don't know if you know much about the Apostle Paul. He was still called Saul at this point. But he became the missionary to the Gentiles, the missionary to the non-Jewish people. Where did that begin? That began with Barnabas going to his house at Tarsus and saying, it's time to get off the sidelines. I need you to come see what God is doing here in Antioch. And he, and he brought him in. He made a connection. And boy, was it a huge connection. Once again, without... Barnabas, there is no Paul. This is how God began to speak to Paul and say, I have called you specifically to be my missionary 
to the non-Jewish people who need to hear the gospel. And it began with this connection that Barnabas made. Now, a chapter later in verse, chapter 12, verse 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Just a little quick detail there in the Bible, but it's a big detail in the sense that this is the beginning of something new happening once again. And Barnabas, once again, was part of it. Uh, Matt Beers talks a lot about this with our small group leaders. I imagine Barnabas was really good at having a conversation that I've heard Matt call an I-C-N-U conversation. The letters I-C-N-U kind of jokingly mean I see in you. I see something in you that God is doing. I see something in you that God wants you to perhaps step up and do something that maybe you've never done before. If, it's as if that's what Barnabas was just inherently, organically, naturally good at. I imagine he had that kind of a conversation in Tarsus with Saul, saying, God is doing some amazing things in Antioch, and here you are in Tarsus, but I see in you something different. You need to come with me to Antioch. I, I have a feeling he had that same conversation with John Mark. You need to come join our mission team, because I see in you something and that's what Barnabas was inherently good at. Now, let's fast forward three more chapters. Acts 15, verse 12. It says this, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas. And Paul, now he's called Paul, he got his new name, listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now, in isolation, You'll be like, what, what's that verse talking about? Here's what's happening. The movement of God in the spread of the gospel among non-Jewish believers was reaching a, a fever pitch to the point where it was actually making Jewish believers nervous. In fact, some Jewish believers had started saying in cities like Antioch, you know what? I'm glad that God is moving among these non-Jewish people, but really God still wants these non-Jewish people to kind of be Jewish also. Like the, the, one, uh, the, the one symbol, if you will, uh, of being a good Jew, a good Jewish male was to be circumcised. There were people saying, yeah, I know you're, you're a Gentile and you believe in Jesus Christ now and the Holy Spirit is upon your life, but you still need to get circumcised and be a good Jew. That's what was starting to be said. It, it became a little bit of a source of conflict. And so because of that, Barnabas and Paul left where they were and came to Jerusalem. And they were basically having this big, giant business meeting, council meeting, if you will, about what to do about what's going on. And what Barnabas and Paul said right there in the midst of that council changed everything. The result of the meeting was we have to acknowledge that God is moving in a powerful way and he didn't call people to become a Jew and then become a Christ follower. This isn't Jesus plus. The gospel isn't Jesus plus a little bit more. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Jesus is enough. He is everything. Even Peter stood up at that meeting and he was the missionary to the Jewish people. And he was like, y'all, God is doing something awesome among the non-Jewish people. Let's not get in the way of it. And Barnabas talked and Paul talked. And once again, God used Barnabas to connect the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem to the non-Jewish believers all over that area. It was a huge moment. Now, in that same chapter, in verse 37 through 39, something interesting happens. It says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, 
But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now, Barnabas is an encourager. And I don't know if hearing us talk about an encourager today does this for you, but when I think of hearing that someone's an encourager, sometimes in my mind's eye I will picture people that I feel are very encouraging people. They've been a very big source of encouragement in my life. So maybe even right now you're thinking of someone, the name, the face of someone who's just an encouraging person in your life. Now, all, not all encouragers are the same, but I will tell you when I think of the people who are very encouraging in my life, they're usually really, really chill people. They're very joyful, easygoing, very people person people, if you will. And when I see someone who is such an encouraging person get upset and get bothered, get offended, and almost kind of, you know, throw something back at somebody, a little disagreement going on, that causes me to be like, whoa, the encouraging person is not happy. And you know what I actually do is I kind of judge the other person like, you made them mad? I mean, they're, they're sweet people. They're, they're encouraging. You made the encourager mad? Something's got to be wrong with you, right? It tells me that, that the Apostle Paul is probably, a, I don't know, a, the Enneagram type 8 or 9 where he's like, yeah, this is what we're doing and I'm bulldozing through here. And John Mark left us. And we don't know why he left in Pamphylia. But John Mark was on this mission team and he said, I'm out. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe it got too hard. I don't know what it was. We don't know the details. But he did leave and abandon them, if you will. That's kind of a strong way to put it. But Paul said he abandoned us. So he's not coming with us on this trip. And here's what I see in Barnabas. If you, th this is the way you make an encourager mad. Encouragers are such sweet people most of the time. You want to make an encourager mad? Discourage the person that they encourage. They'll fight you over that. Like, I'm encouraging this guy. I see something in John Mark. He needs to go with us on this trip. No, he doesn't. He abandoned us. There was a sharp disagreement. And there's a whole other sermon here about how God can take sometimes a resolved conflict and do amazing things in it. They agreed to disagree, and two mission teams were formed. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And if you continue to read in the New Testament, there's little hints dropped that Paul came around about John Mark after all, which is a good thing because most scholars believe that's the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. He's a pretty cool dude. Give him a chance here, Paul, right? But that's what's amazing is that and I see in Barnabas here, he was such a strong people connector. He was such a strong encourager that the one thing that got him almost backslidden was when you tried to discourage someone he was trying to encourage. When you tried to make a disconnection when he was trying to make a connection. Why are we saying all this? Why is this so important? Because of this. You never know how one personal connection may change a life for eternity. Oftentimes, I don't get up and talk about the amazing ability of Barnabas to change the world. But he did, and it wasn't him, it was God. But God used him. He used something that he did very inherently. He was a people connector. He got people together. Hey, apostles, you got to come meet Saul of Tarsus. Tell them tell what happened to you on the road to Damascus. He went and connected those people together. 
And when he saw what God was doing in Antioch, he went to Saul and said, you got you to come see these people, meet these people at Antioch. They're, it's amazing what God is doing there. And, and, and his fellow Jewish believers in, in the council of Jerusalem said, guys, listen, let me vouch for the people there that are in these new Gentile believers in Antioch and all around the world. God is doing great things. You got you to give them a chance. You got to see what God is doing. And Paul, you got to meet this guy named John Mark. I really think he could, he could not only be a benefit to the kingdom, but this will benefit him. And let's see what God does if we just bring him with us on this mission trip. That's what Barnabas did. It was very organic. It was very natural. And, and this is what I want to challenge each of us today to think about doing. Be a people connector for Christ. Some of you in this room, you are a people connector. And, and you may be thinking, Oh, no, this is for all those extroverts out there. You know, those real social butterfly people. I can't be a people connector. You are really wrong about that. And, and the reason I can say that is I'm, I'm an extrovert. And, and I'm not always the best at that. I, I'm really better when it's like, hey, when I'm in a room with people in it, I want to be like, let's talk to all the people at once. And yay, all of us together. Yay, rah. An introverted person can look and see that one person that they've not talked to anybody yet. So I'm going to go over to them and talk to them. And I'm going to bring them over here and, and introduce them to this person. And it may be a tiny little group of connections, but that happens. It's not an introvert versus extrovert thing. It's, it's a people thing. And some of you are very, very good at it. And some of it, it's like what you love, you're passionate about. You look forward to getting to the weekend, you're not working anymore, so you can throw out the cornhole boards in the driveway and say, hey, neighbor, come on over, let's hang out together. You look forward to that. You like getting together with people. Or maybe that's not who you are. Like, no, no, nope, nope, I'm kind of a hermit when it comes to, when I get home, I'm in my cave. But you like interacting with people on a smaller scale. Meet this one person at this coffee shop. Meet this other person over here. What if you did that and you took Christ with you as you did it? That you see this is not just something that you just do because it's who you, just what you do, but it's because God has given you that organic, innate thing in you. What if you took Christ with you in all those places? What might God do with that? You never know how making just a personal connection, just one personal connection, can transform a person's life for eternity. Just because Barnabas said, you know what, nobody else has given this Saul a chance, I'm going to go bring him to my friends. Let them meet him. And man, it, the world got turned upside down because of that one meeting, one connection. Don't underestimate the connections that you make happen, that you do yourself. They are huge, especially if you make sure you take Christ with you as you do it. I've talked with people about, hey, I do this, I do this. It's made me think about this, like there's things I do that I enjoy doing with other people, but I don't always look at it as, hey, I take Christ with me. What if Christ is one of the people there with us? And what if God does something with that? I'm not just hanging out. There's an opportunity here for, for someone to maybe see Jesus Christ in my life or to hear me speak his name. And then as we've sung earlier, man, there is no other name by which our lives can be changed for eternity. And there is no other name that has the hope for us, for our lives, not just for eternity, but for here and for now. There's no other name by which we can have our lives restored from the brokenness that we've endured. So what if we are people connectors, but we're people connectors for him? 
And now I'm going to get even really even more specific with you. We need more people connectors at Hickory Grove, a.k.a. small group leaders. Shameless plug. But we need more. We spent the last six weeks before today talking about our one thing that we do. We walk with God. We walk with God together. And what does that look like as a church? Man, we're walking with Christ together into the lostness, and we're reaching people who are lost apart from Him. Amen. Praise God. We got a light board that's lit up with 46 bulbs. 46 people have taken their first next step of being baptized, declaring their faith to the world. But for every bulb that gets lit, I just wonder this. Who's going to come alongside them? And mentor them and be a Christian friend of them and be a go-to for them. Who's going to speak the truth in love to them? Hold them accountable. Do the one another's for them. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Who's going to do that in their life? Here's the thing. The more we fulfill the mission God has given us, the more our, most, our most desperate need is going to be people ready to be a people connector for them. And that's what small group leaders really are. They're, they're people connectors. And the video hopefully helped us in a fun way see that. You're not, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. In fact, some of the most amazing small group leaders are very, very humble when it comes to what they know. But they're very, very heavy on, I just want people to connect with each other and with Christ. That's what small group leaders do. They connect people more closely to Christ. They connect people more closely to one another. And they connect people more closely to the world in need around them as well. And that might be something you may be sitting there saying, I would love to do that. That's what I love doing. I love getting people together. I love doing that. Well, maybe, maybe God is planting a seed in your heart to be a people connector for him in the form of a small group leader. When we talk about next steps all the time here, and maybe your next step today is literally to walk out into the lobby and take the steps downstairs because that's where Matt Beers and myself are going to be after each service today to just have conversations with anyone who might be willing to become a small group leader. I promise you, it's not a bear trap. We're not going to be, gotcha. Woo, you're a life group leader for life. It's a life sentence to be a life group leader. We're not going to do that to you. We just want to have a conversation, that's all, and see where God, what God does with that. But that might be, you might be the one that God is getting ready to do. This is funny. I remember back in 2002, uh, Billy Graham was coming to speak and be a, lead a crusade at Paul Brown Stadium. Some of you might have gone to that, might have been a part of that years and years ago. Some of you weren't born then, so that's okay. Uh, but I remember our church, what our role in that whole event was to provide counselors for the people who made decisions during the response time at the end. So that was our main job. And we took a lot of people over to Paul Brown Stadium and other churches to get trained for that. I remember one of the first meetings, the guy that was in charge at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, he was in charge of training the counselors, he got up and he stood, and one of the first things he said was, guys, do you know why we must do this, why it's so important that you're here, and it's so important that we get you trained? You know why? Because the babies are coming. They're about to be birthed. Someone's got to catch them and take care of them. I love that. It was a little bit, my mind went to a weird place when he said that, with the catching the babies. Um, 
But yet it was a good metaphor for what this is about. We sometimes underestimate. Isn't it great? We got some bulbs lit. People have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart and into their lives and are following him. And they've declared their faith through baptism. Isn't that great? Yes. Who's going to care for them? Who's going to pray for them? Who's going to mentor them? Who's going to be the one that is a people connector for them, connecting them more closely to Christ, connecting them more closely to others, connecting them more closely to a world around them that needs to know the name of Jesus. And this is so important because, friends, because of your sin, you are lost and hopeless, facing an eternity in hell and a life without purpose and meaning right here and right now. But because Jesus Christ came and died on a cross and stepped out of a grave, if we turn and put our faith in him, we have a life of purpose and meaning right here and right now, and we face an eternity in a place called heaven with him and all his people forever and ever and ever. That's why we do this. That's why we need people connectors that see their people connecting as being done in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you would use just our encouragement to transform lives. And I believe all over this room we have people that are just, they're inherently good at connecting others, perhaps on a small scale, perhaps on a big scale. And Lord, I just pray that you place it in our hearts and minds today that this is something you've called us and created us to do for you, for a bigger, grander purpose in a way that transforms lives forever. And Lord, this gospel, this good news is so big. When I think of what I'd be without you, God, that my eternity would be hopeless and my life would be purposeless. But with you, oh God, I have meaning, I have purpose, and I face eternal life in heaven with you. Father, I pray there might even be one in this room that has never taken their very first step of faith. May they call upon your name right now and say, oh Jesus, save me. I turn my life completely over to you right now and I place my trust in you for my salvation for here and now and for eternity, forever and ever. Lord, I pray that if someone does that, help them to know that they are part of the family of God. And may they too step out and get connected and be mentored and let someone know about their new faith. Lord, we love you. Thank you for using us to make a difference for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.